Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Today's fun and exciting podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Yes Pallets. Yes Pallets is the pallet removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale at a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. The podcast today with Pat Kennedy is fun and exciting. Pat, who was recently named the St. Edward Bronze Eagle Award winner, provides us a glimpse of why he gives back so much to the St. Ed's community and beyond. But we get an even better look into a legacy of great giving people who are truly the embodiment of the St. Edward spirit. Go Eagles! Go Kennedys. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast and make sure you're following the podcast on social media. You can follow the Chris Williams Podcast Hour on both IG and Twitter at the Chris Will Pod and on Facebook. It is simply the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. As I said before, and I'll say it again, all of our podcasts are good. So enjoy the content you are familiar with and try the unknown. You will learn something from them, and more importantly, you will get hooked. Sit back and listen to my teammate, who's going to rock you like a hurricane and has always protected my back. You will soon find out why we are friends for life. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. She may sleep in feast, far from you, friends for life. Oh, friends for life. But you're a tearaway, gonna run off in the night. You're gonna leave that girl smiling in the shadow of the spike. You run your way to somewhere, but leave no one behind. Now's the time to celebrate the world you leave behind. Let's celebrate. to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and today I have one of my former teammates at St. Edward High School. He was the center, the anchor of a line that paved the way for over 2,000 yards rushing. He is the president of the St. Ed's Athletic Booster Club, a family man that is anchoring many other clubs as well. He is a member of the Medina County Sheriff's Department in Ohio, and he recently won the Bronze Eagle Award, which recognizes St. Edward alumni for their ongoing support and commitment to the ideas of a Holy Cross education over a significant number of years. And he's always supported me and my family. So please help me welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, the Bronze Eagle Award winner and my friend, Mr. Pat Kennedy. Kennedy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Absolutely awesome to have you, Pat. So, again, welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast. And this is big for me. So anytime I can get friends and former teammates on the podcast, it's super exciting for me. So I'm glad you could take the time to 
you know, share your story with us. All right. Well, I appreciate you inviting me, Chris. Not, not a problem at all. Well-deserved, well-deserved. So, Pat, as I tell all my guests, the podcast does not work unless you shamelessly plug yourself and tell your entertaining stories, and I know you have some. So please, uh, feel free just to... Just a couple, just a couple. <laughs> so please, feel free to brag about yourself and what you're doing. So let's get started by, let's talk about your family and where you grew up. Okay. Well, um, the oldest of seven, uh, four girls, three boys. We grew up in the West Park neighborhood of Cleveland until I was in grade school, then moved out to North Olmstead. I went to St. Pat's West Park for first grade and then uh, second through eighth grade at St. Richard's in North Olmstead. Um, spent a lot of time there. My parents lived there for almost 40 years before they moved out of that house. Um, grew up in a nice neighborhood. Uh, with a pool right behind the house that the neighborhood owned. Uh, it was a great time. Um, enjoyed St. Richard's. Back then, the place was packed. When I started at St. Richard's, there was a 1,000 kids in that school. Um, our entire neighborhood seemed like went to, went to St. Richard's. So um, it was a great seven years there for me. Okay. And, and who was your rival at, at St. Richard's? Well, the closest rival would have been St. Brendan's, where, where you know uh, Kruger and Jenny. Uh, Kevin Kruger and Ray Jenny teamed up young over there at St. Brendan's, and just because of how close they were in the same city, they were our biggest rival. Um, okay. You know, and, and, and I did, who, who knew that, you know, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, they'd play against those guys and end up being teammates with them for four years at St. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, and, and I'll come back to that. But you come from an Irish Catholic family, so what were some of the important lessons that they taught you growing up? And do you have a favorite story? Oh, geez, I don't know if I could tell them on some type, something like a podcast. But uh, <laughs> you know, my parents were big. My parents were big on family, family first, uh, Catholic education, uh, the Catholic Church. Um, Everybody pitching in and doing their share. Um, you know, you had to do that uh, with nine people, including mom and dad living in a three-bedroom ranch in North Olmsted with no basement. Uh, everybody had to pitch in whether you liked it or not. Um, and we fought a lot. Uh, the Irish Catholic family, a lot of tempers, a lot of, uh, I don't know, what would you say, very strong personalities and um, we always fought a lot, but uh, did it with love. And I think if we went a week without fighting, there probably would have been something wrong in that house. Uh, okay. But uh, family, family was big. Family first, um, you know, sticking up for your, your brothers and sisters and helping family out foremost and then helping out friends. But you know, that's some of the stuff that sticks out from when I was a kid, from when I was a little kid. Okay. Well, with seven people, you guys had pretty much had a gang, didn't you? Uh, not too many people mess with the Kennedys. No, not a whole lot. And back then, you know, there was a lot of St. Richard's people right in the same neighborhood. So, yeah, nobody did. We were spread out. I'm, you know, my youngest brother is 12 and a half years younger. So that's kind of a spread. You know, you jam seven kids in there. It doesn't seem like it. But by the time I was in uh, eighth grade, Michael was just being baptized in August of my eighth grade year. So, um didn't have to stick up for him too much because by the time he was a teenager, I was, I was married. So, 
No problem. Now, we talked about your parents. You, you talked about pitching in and, and doing your share. So your parents were some of the most giving and gracious people. So brag on them and the influence that they had on you and your family. Uh, they were. They were uh, They were really giving, especially at stuff at school. Um, whether you liked it or not, they were involved in just about everything, whether it was my dad coaching basketball or coaching football or my mom running a club at school or volunteering in the cafeteria, they were always around. You could never shake them in grade school and high school. They were everywhere. And I never knew how they did it with seven kids. They seemed to volunteer with every kid's class on a regular basis. They made it to just about every single sporting event all seven of us had. Um, and they were always around. And if somebody asked for volunteers for something at school, they were usually the first ones in line. Um, like I said, it was whether we liked it or not. Sometimes it was great having them there, and other times I wish they'd take a break and step away for give me a month at school alone. But, um, yeah, they were always ready to volunteer and help out, and uh, um, that's what they tried to tell all seven of us and teach us all seven of us to do is help out when we can. And they uh, did that by example. They didn't have to tell us. Like I said, they were always helping. Um, they were fixtures all the time. So. Um, that was the example. They didn't. They didn't need to tell us. They showed us how to do it. Okay. Now, did that ever become a drag for you, or did you just pick up the baton and just keep doing what they were doing? I just basically picked up the baton and kept doing what they were doing. You know, you're a teenager and your mom's around a lot. It can bug you a little bit, but um, they were pretty good about it. And uh, as you know from experience, most of my friends and people around seem to like the two of them. So you usually didn't have a problem with them being around. And for some reason, they seemed to like everybody they ran into. They never had a bad word to say about anybody. Um, you know, they loved your mom. They really cherished the time that they spent with your mom um, when we were at St. Ed's. And so it really wasn't a drag to have them around. Um, you know, you say that as a teenager because that's the right thing to say. But uh, it, they really did a nice job, and everybody seemed to love that. I love having them around. Yes, yes, and it was it was well reciprocated. My mom, she bragged until the end about your family. So, you know, yeah, it's, it says a lot. So, and they shared some great times. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that, <laughs> but they definitely <laughs> shared some great times. Um, yeah, they so, did. So, so talk a little bit more about your neighborhood, uh, like where you grew up. You know, some of the things that you did, and I believe it was Canterbury Woods. Is that is that where you? Yeah, that was the name of the neighborhood. Um, like I said, full of kids. You know, we talk about having a big family, seven kids. Back then in the early 80s, uh, we were one of the medium-sized families in that neighborhood. We had neighbors that had 10 kids that had 12. Um, it was just like a Catholic, I don't know, a huge Catholic neighborhood, and there were huge families everywhere. And um, you know, back just like you did back in the, the 80s and a day like today, you're outside 12 hours hanging out in the neighborhood. Um, we were lucky that we had the neighborhood pool, but, you know, we were outside from basically dawn till dusk every day um, just mm -hmm. hanging out in the neighborhood. And, 
you know, it was different back then when you could do that. Mom and dad could get you out of the house, or you wanted to get out of the house first thing in the morning, and you, report, you reported back in for dinner. Uh, it's about the time you came in, and the only reason you came back at dinner is because you were hungry. Um, you know, you didn't spend a lot of time inside. Uh, hell, we didn't have my parents didn't even have cable at our house. I think I was a sophomore at St. Ed, so. You didn't right. spend any time in front of the TV or anything. You spent it all outside in the neighborhood. Yes, no cable, no video games. So it was it was hard yeah. to stay in the house unless you just wanted exactly, to do chores. Right, exactly. And my mother always found something for everybody to do. Because even with nine people in that house, you, you know, you were in there, you walked in that house at any time, and it looked like nobody lived there because everything was in perfect order. Um, so, yeah, if you were going to hang around at home, she found something for you to do that you, mm-hmm. most of the time you probably didn't want to do because it involved chores, cleaning, yard work. So there was a benefit to getting out of the house and staying out all day. Yes, yes, okay. All right, so grade school, St. Richard's, and you mentioned St. Brendan's, which was your rival, Kruger, Kanavka. <laughs> so Kanavka was over at St. Bernadette's. Oh, he was, uh, that's right, he was at Bernadette's. Yeah, yeah St. Bernadette's, Baker. Yeah, uh, so Jenny, uh, Kruger, Baker, those guys were over at uh, St. Brendan. So, but, yeah, St. Bernadette was a rival, too, playing in that West Park uh, or West Side Parochial League or whatever it was back then. was, you know, those seven or eight school, Catholic schools on the near West Side playing each other in a league. Um, so you got to see those guys all the time, you know, St. Bernadette, St. Brendan, St. Richard, St. Raphael, um, St. Mark. Back then, St. Luke, those Catholic schools were all in the league prior to CYO doing football. Okay. Okay. So what was that like when you you end up going to St. Ed's and you're there with, with your rivals? What was that like? Did you guys immediately gravitate towards each other? Did you talk a lot of junk? How did, how did that first start out? I think we gravitated towards each other because um, we knew each other, had experience with each other, but most people, and we probably talked about this in that podcast we did for um, the football team back, uh, what was that, last October, um, you know, most people forget that when football started freshman year at St. Ed's, I wasn't on the field. I was at home. I didn't go out for football. I don't know if people remember that. My dad and I had a blow up over the summer because of some of my uh, friends in the neighborhood that were North Olmsted Eagles, and uh, I had some wild dream that I got in July that I needed to go there instead of St. Ed's for some screwy reason. And, you know, that wasn't happening. Um, what well, could have happened maybe over my dead body, um, but it was St. Ed's, it was St. Ed's or nothing. And uh, I was trying to assert my independence at that time. And I didn't go, I didn't go to anything football in August. And it's not like it was today. You remember we, I mean, we didn't start till, you know, mid August and there was only a couple weeks uh double sessions or as freshmen, probably just single practices. I didn't come out until right at the beginning of the season. Um, I was in the cafeteria one day, and Dan Flaherty was standing there, and he said, hey, Kennedy, what's going on? And we talked for a couple of minutes, and I kind of admitted that I'd screwed up and I'd like to play football, and he told me not so many words to get my butt out in the field that day. Um, so I was a little bit behind the eight ball there. I was the new I was the new guy in a class of new guys, um, 
you know, there's already 110 kids out there on the football field from freshmen, and I've already missed two and a half weeks or something. So, uh, um, but yeah, I gravitated right towards those guys. I didn't know uh, Bob Lenart uh, too well from St. James, but played against him, and, you know, he fit right in with that group, and we did just sort of gravitate each other towards each other. But at the same time, we gave each other a ton of crap, um, you know, talking about games and who won what and who scored this and, you know, this, you know, the big kid, that, the big, big running back that was a huge running back that had a great career that ended up being a defensive lineman because there's no way in hell in high school he could run the ball. Um, but he was a star running back in grade school because he was the biggest kid on the team. Um, right. Stuff like that, you know. Yeah, good, good natured. Uh, you know, giving each other some, some crap. So okay. I think that still happens. To, that still happens today. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right. So, what is it that? Uh, I guess what is it about St. Ed's that grabbed the attention of your family? How did you guys get involved? How did your father get involved with St. Ed's? Uh well, he was. My dad's a '61 grad. Um, mm-hmm. He lived on the near west side off of Rocky River Drive on Flamingo, went to St. Pat's West Park. Um, and I think some of it was, you know, his parents were devout Catholics. They wanted him to go to Catholic school. And back then your choices were, you know, for our all-male schools, Ed's or Ignatius. And, you know, back in those days, they lived off of Rocky River Drive. St. Ed's is pretty close. I think that had something to do with it being closer, and I'm going to guess even back then, back in the late 50s, I'm going to guess, you know, St. Ed's was still brand new and um, probably less expensive, and that probably played a part into it, too. Um, And like I said, more convenient. My grandmother was a Catholic school teacher at Ascension um, for 25 years, so it it probably worked out that that, St. Ed's was a lot closer than Ignatius and some of the other places, so... Um, I think that's how it started, and then it just it snowballed from there. So my dad gotcha. became an eagle in you know 1957 and or 56. Oh yeah, would that be 56? I guess graduated in 61, and he uh, never left the place. Okay, it's a hard place to leave, that's for sure. So, it, it so is. everybody, so everybody knows you as the the Saint Ed's you know, athletic club booster, or president, booster president. So describe your days at St. Ed's. What were some of the best memories you had academically as well as athletically? Uh, I don't know. I was Academically, there was no, uh, I was no superstar. Um, I, I think if I would have applied myself a little better, I probably would have been more successful there. But, um, you know, uh, Brother Joe, um, didn't care for the guy back then because of how hard he was on anybody. But man, when he came out of saying that, you, 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 you had a command of writing in the English language, uh, that you didn't realize you had until you left there. Uh, brother Joe was a great benefit. Um, what he taught and what he instilled in everybody there, uh, was a huge, huge influence, um, you know, just having all the brothers there, you know, when we were there, there probably were a dozen that were still there. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you had Brother David. I had Brother David for physics, which I didn't do too well in, but having him run down the, run down between the desks real fast at somebody to get an answer, um, 
I didn't like physics overall, but I learned a lot despite myself because of him. Um, I don't know if you do you remember Tully, the equipment manager? Yes, Mr. Tully, yes. Yes. So he was my homeroom teacher for one, if not two years. And he had, uh, I can remember his, he had a class ring from his college. And I can't remember what college it was. He had a humongous class ring. And you, you weren't in there because you, I think he had the J through L's or J's and K's. Because they sat mm-hmm. with us in alphabetical order for four years. And he had a very unique system of discipline in homeroom. You either took the detention or you took a whack from that ring. Um, and most of us took the whack from the ring. And, you know, it only stung, it only stung for a minute, but the, the problem was you didn't know when it was coming. You know, you got out of line and he was going to whack you with that ring, but it might be right right away or it might be the next day. Uh, but I don't know what else we did in the homeroom besides him get mad at people and put us, put us in the line. But, you know, back then I'd, I'd much rather take the, the whack from his ring than his attention especially during football season, you couldn't get a detention. Couldn't um, get a detention, yep. Well, I got one once as a uh, sophomore. I think I got a detention, and I think it was Holian that came and ripped uh, ripped four or five of us that were on the football team out of that detention and um, ran us up and down those bleachers for the rest of football practice. Oh. Um, and I think he told us that, that this is what you get for a detention from now on. And that that was a that was a one time experience. You didn't want to have to do that again, because uh, you know those bleachers were pretty high. Plus, you weren't sure if you were going to fall through them and die. Or, you know, nowadays they probably that probably would have been just sitting people in them would have been abused because of how bad they were. But uh, you know, <clears throat> the, those teachers really cared. All of them, whether they taught gym or health or. Uh, physics or English, uh, they all they all cared, and most of them were characters one way or another. Um, so they uh, and they taught you how to how to uh, give of yourself and uh, set great examples. And you know that's back when they you know they don't make great money now, but they sure did make great money back in the 80s. And then none of those teachers were there to make a living. Those teachers were all there because they wanted to and they cared about kids. And um, they felt a higher calling, whether they were a brother or a lay teacher. And um, they all set a great example about giving back to everybody, I think. And it, it took leave and saying that and being gone for a while to realize that. You don't realize that as a 17-year-old kid. It takes a long no. time for that distance. No. At least it did with me. You know, I didn't. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see Coach Urbis for what he was until I was gone. Um, you know, talk about somebody that gives of himself and gives everything he has to do a school. You know, Greg Urbis does that for everybody and has for forty plus years. Um, but I didn't realize what kind of person he was until I had graduated and stepped away from the school for a few years, and then you realize, oh my God those people there and people like him, what they're giving and what they're doing for young men of greater Cleveland is amazing. Yes, that's absolutely the truth. That is the truth. All right. So you were on the previous podcast talking about the 86 state championship game. So, and that was with a group of people. So here's your chance to share your personal memory of that game or that season, how does Pat Kennedy remember that season? Uh, he remembers that as a ton of fun. Um, the season went by in a blur. 
And unfortunately for me, the only thing that sticks out in my mind on a regular basis is that one-point loss in Columbus. Um, you know, that's the highlight or the low light of the entire season is being one, two points away from a win. Um, you know, that sticks with you. Uh, and I would tell you that it was, besides being, you know, injured as a little kid, that was the first time I think I cried in front of my mother um, <clears throat> when we came out of the locker room after that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was uh, that was an most emotional uh, moment for me as far as sports up until that time was coming out of that locker room at Ohio State with that one point loss um, after getting so damn close and after no one thinking we'd get anywhere no one thought we'd get through Mid Park and Berea uh, in the playoffs and just mowing our way or you mowing your way uh, through four games to get us to that state championship game. Um, but yeah, I, you know, wish I could have blocked harder on another play, you know, wished a different play was called that I didn't have any control over, but you know, that, that sticks out that one point loss, but you know, at the same time, there's in the history of, uh, the Eagles, you know, look at how many school, how many classes have actually gotten that far, you know, four have made it to the pinnacle and won it. But, you know, as far as people making it to that game, it's been less than 10 times. Um, in since you know the 1950s, so I think to put our team in an elite group, uh, which I think as a team we don't get the respect that I think we deserve, but um, that's probably for another podcast. But it was a great, memorable season. That was a memorable day. Um, I can't believe we got up in the morning, went to St. Ed's, and drove down to Columbus, played a game, and drove <laughs> home, home all in the space of about seven hours. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be unthinkable today. I mean, to do that, uh, you know, it basically was like a, an away game in greater Cleveland, the, the way we handled it, but having no experience with it and no travel and stuff, probably would have been nice if we went down the day before and spent an evening, had a walk through on the stadium the day before. But, you know, they didn't do that stuff back then. Um, you know, they didn't do anything like that. So, um, but, yeah, it was a whirlwind day. You know, going to that restaurant, wherever the hell it was afterwards, and then running out of food. Um, <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about you that. know, some, yeah. I don't know, some dump, some dump somewhere, somebody made arrangements for the team to eat there on the way back. And, you know, my family and your family and a whole bunch of other people showed up that I don't think they were expecting. And I do remember at some point they ran out of, they had no food left in the place because we ate them. We ate everything they had. Um, <laughs> And by then, I think there were a lot of adults that had had, had uh, they had decided that maybe they wouldn't finish. They didn't need any more food. They would just drink their their early dinner, if you remember correctly. Because <laughs> you know that motor oh. home, that motor home, that motor home that went to that game. That was my aunt and uncle's, and my uncle didn't travel anywhere in that thing without a full bar. Oh, so, wow. And, and, wow. Yeah, and, and I, I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure I, I don't quote me on this, and I can't prove it, but I'm sure he was mixing drinks for all the adults, <laughs> your mom, and maybe even your sisters, you know, at 8.30 in the morning on their way down there. Oh, um, my gosh. So know, that, he, RV, he that, that RV is legendary. 
And yes, my older sister was on that RV with my mom. And my mom was loaded when she got home. For some reason, we beat them. We beat them home by almost two hours. And I remember we were. A lot of people were at my house, and the RV pulled up. (laughs) And I just remember my mom stumbling off the RV, and I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. And I was thinking she was going to kick everybody out the house. That was not it. That was not it at all. No, I think I left your house, you know, the way somebody else tells it. I think I left your house about 1 o'clock in the morning that night um, and went home. And my parents made me go to school the next day. Yes. That was not, that was not a happy day at St. Ed's for people whose parents made them go after that game. Because I'm pretty sure the alcohol that the parents didn't drink that day, we finished up at your house that night. <laughs> Oh, somehow that happened. <laughs> yeah, nobody somehow nobody got hurt and we all made it home alive somehow. Exactly. Exactly. We're responsible. <laughs> yeah. But look look looking back on that whole experience. So your parents were the booster club and, and again that trip on the R V was it, it's legendary. So and I like I told you, my mom, she told it to everybody. My sister still gets overly excited talking about it. So <laughs> you you take all those wonderful experiences, right, and, that were provided okay. for my, my family and so many others and how your family influenced them. So how does that influence you to give back to St. Ed's and to become a member of the Athletic Booster Club? Well, it's, I think it's in, I don't know, ingrained and me from mom and dad, from everything that they did, and it's just an urge to be involved. And I, I don't know if you – I think you were watching the awards thing two weeks ago because uh, yeah. it was streamed. But, it, you know, when I first started getting involved in schools, you know, it was 16 or so years ago when my son was at St. Francis. And, like, I – said that night I, I didn't do it because I wanted to give back at that time I was being selfish I wanted to see my kid um, you know I worked a second shift job at that time it, you know I was gone in the evening I was gone a lot on weekends and if I didn't go to school and help out I would see PJ for an hour in the morning on school days and that would be it I wouldn't see the kid again because by the time I got home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night he was uh you know, well on his way to had been in bed for a while. So some of it was selfish to start with, um, you know, the school was looking for parent volunteers and they were always desperate for them. And I started helping in the cafeteria and that's where it started. And, um, you know, it's just so I could spend time with PJ, you know, as he got older, he probably regretted that, <laughs> that I was there all the time or Maybe it would be good if I took a back seat, but it, it kind of snowballed, and from there it was just easy. Um, I enjoyed being at the schools. I enjoyed giving them my time. Um, I was able to, and a lot of people aren't able to. Um, mm-hmm. you know, back then, I, that grade school needed parent help during the day. You know, Anybody with a 9-to-5 job that wasn't flexible, they couldn't be there. Um, so I was there a lot, and... Uh, I liked being there. I think overall, even though he might say different, I think uh, PJ and really enjoyed me being there. 
Uh, my daughter, Cameron, I think, liked me being there. Um, she went with me as a, as a toddler. She'd go volunteer with me at St. Francis, and by the time she hit kindergarten, she knew her way around the school because she had been there twice a week for three years with me. Um, so it, it started kind of selfish and just snowballed from there. And um, it, it's hard for me to turn people down when they ask for help. Um, so cafeteria volunteer turned into bingo volunteer at night, which turned into being involved with the PTA and, um, you know, helping with fundraisers. And uh, I had a knack for it, um, too. Uh, I, I like to run my mouth. And a lot of times when you're raising money, when you're raising money and you're recruiting people to do things, you need more volunteers. You need somebody that can talk. And, um, I can talk forever sometimes without shutting my mouth. So sometimes as a gift of gab, people I can convince people to volunteer, or some of them I think volunteer just to shut me up. Um, <laughs> so that's where it started, you know. And next thing I know, um, I'm on the board of the PTA and. St. Francis, and I'm vice president for a year, and I'm president the last two years. My daughter's there, and um, in the meantime, I'm getting involved at St. Ed's, and it just kept going. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really, you you saw that speech, and I had a hard time preparing for that speech at that awards, and I went just off the cuff because it was too emotional to write something down, and I was really remiss during that. The one person I didn't thank, or barely even mentioned was my wife, my wife Laura. Um, without her support, I wouldn't be able to do any of the volunteering I do. Um, right. Because when I'm volunteering in at events, she's running the, she's running the house, and that's a lot to do because she's got a full time job. Um, you know, a lot of that volunteering puts me involved with the kids, but might take me away from her. Um, but she's always supported it. In fact, at one point, I learned years ago after I'd been doing stuff for six or seven years at the grade school, she was keeping track of it. She had a log of every event I went to, every time I volunteered for everything. I had no idea she was doing it, but she was keeping track of everything. Um, and I was kind of amazed at uh, how detailed it was and how much I was doing, but I couldn't do any of it without her, uh, without her support. And sometimes I think she gets a little mad at me because I extend myself sometimes a little too far or I, I uh, step in at times when maybe somebody else could do it. Um, but she puts up with it and uh, she supports me wholeheartedly doing as much of it as I can. So I think she's hoping that uh, as Cameron progresses in the college years soon that maybe somehow back off on some of it. Um, the good thing is at her school, a lot of the stuff that I do, you have to be a parent of a current student. So once I'm on a board there, but once Scammer graduates, I can't be on that board anymore. So that will naturally give me a little bit of a break. So, um, yeah, so that's how it all started at grade school. And then, like I said, I like talking. I like doing it. Um, I'm fairly good at organizing stuff. And um, I work for free. So a lot of times people don't turn me down when they know I'm going to do it for nothing. <laughs> So, and when you're looking at groups of, when you're looking at school volunteers, that's where they're looking for is they're looking for people that are willing to give their time because they can't pay for it. And that's uh, one thing I've tried to instill in other people I've worked with over the last uh, 
16 years, and especially over the last five or six that Dana has been at Magnificat, is you can't turn a volunteer down and you can't push them too hard because they're working for free. They're helping mm-hmm. me out. They're helping the school out, and it's real easy for them to walk right away because they're not being treated nice. Um, and that's one thing I've learned that uh, over the years, um, sometimes a group of volunteers is much more valuable than a cash donation. Much, much more valuable, and you have to keep, you have to teach those people, um, and not teach them, but show them that you respect them, and you're going to respect their time, and you appreciate them. Because if you don't, then they don't come back. Um, okay, okay, all right. So, knowing what you know now, if you could go back to when you first started volunteering, is there one thing that you would change or do differently? I would learn to say no, because <laughs> like I said, there's there's times I've been overextended. Um, you know, even just recently, I put too much on my plate um, and end up, you know, this weekend I ended up volunteering for something uh, Sunday, and uh, I, because of work and everything, I ended up with very little sleep from Saturday morning till today, and. Um, Laura was not happy that I had done this uh, volunteer thing on a Sunday. It was the fourth Sunday out of the last six that I had done it, and um, I probably should have only done one. There were six of them, and I probably should have done only one or two, but they were short people. And that's that's one thing is I wish that times I had done a better job saying no or saying I, I can't do that at this time. I'm already doing three other things. Um, okay. But I, I couldn't. I, that's one thing is couldn't say no. And then um, the other thing would be to assert myself a little bit more in the beginning with the powers that be. <clears throat> you know, sometimes you know I talked about treating volunteers right. Sometimes the school administrators, in some capacity, don't um, treat their volunteers great. They don't appreciate them, and it, early on, I should have stuck up for myself and my fellow volunteers a little bit more, because um, I ran into some situations where you've got a school administrator that's a little tough on volunteers, and it probably would have been a good of me or somebody to remind them that we are volunteers. Um, but I, I do that now, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be I don't want to be pushed around, but at the same time, I want to work as a partner with. Um, you know, whatever school officials we're working with. And right now at um, Magnificat and St. Ed, both schools have got great administrations, whether it's the president or the athletic director or an administrative assistant, um, and they work great with their volunteer groups, both schools do. Um, they collaborate with them. It's an equal partnership, and uh, that's really nice, and I wish I would have had some of that early on when I was volunteering. But I didn't know any better, too, I don't think. I didn't, you know jumped right in and didn't know the dynamics of uh, some things going on with the way Catholic schools work and with volunteers, et cetera. So, yeah, so those would be the two things, saying a no occasionally and being a little bit more uh, stick up for my fellow volunteers. Okay. And my wife okay. my wife would say, learn to say no at least half the time. That's what she would say. But... <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So how can listeners become members of the Booster Club? And and what message would you have for current Booster Club members 
and those that are, you know, you've probably talked to and they're on the fence and they still haven't joined yet? Well, our, our membership, we run it. It's a yearly membership, so you've got to rejoin each year. Our membership year starts July 1st of each school year and runs till the following summer. So we're getting ready to kick off a new membership drive here in June. Um, we're not going to change anything from last year. We'll still have the same membership levels, um, the same donations we're requesting, uh, the same benefits. And those are all listed on our uh, booster page. It's on the St. Ed's website. So it would be uh, stedwardeaglescom slash boosters or just search St. Edward Boosters. We have our own page. At the bottom of the page, it talks about our membership program. Um, we have online ability to join the boosters. That will go live in late June. Right now, um, we take it down in May to reconfigure everything for the new year. Um, so in late June, that will be up there. I would say to our current members that joined for the 2020-2021 year, they will be getting a letter sometime in early June um, asking them to rejoin, to join for another year, and offering them a little special, uh, little special gift uh, discount uh, that we've never offered before, and we're, we're doing that because those people supported us through a very crazy, weird uh, year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a, a, a lot of our membership opportunities have a very nice ticket benefit. Our top-level gold membership gets you ID cards for two people that basically get you into every home sporting event for St. Ed's for a year, whether it's oh. at Lakewood Stadium, at the Eagles Nest, the high in the backyard or the baseball team that's playing out in Avon or if the swim team has a home meet at Cleveland State or hockey teams at Winterhurst with those passes, every regular season home event you get into. It's a great benefit. Um, tons of opportunities to attend tons of different sporting events. You know, there's 16 varsity teams, and you can go take in every one of them for free with those memberships. But last year, because of the pandemic and state and OHSA rules, we, we did our memberships, but people could not get into anything. Um, you know, boosters for the first time ever didn't have their freeway into seeing the football game or seeing the home basketball game. But we still had a nice group of people that still bought memberships, not knowing last summer what the ticket situation was going to look like. Um, they stuck with us, and we want to offer those people something special in June. And we'll probably offer some type of early bird discount if you join in July, which we've done in the past, um, usually which is 5 or 10% off if you join before August 1st. So that will all be coming out in June. Um, okay. We're hoping our, member, our memberships over the last six years have steadily increased every year by 5 to 15%. Unfortunately, last year, because of the pandemic, our membership dropped in half. Um, the plus side is we didn't have a lot of expenses because of the pandemic. Teams didn't travel, games were canceled, um, things just didn't happen. So a lot of the stuff we support, there was nothing to support because the events didn't happen. Um, and we were not allowed to have any public events last year. For the first time right. that I can remember, there was not a tailgate at any St. Ed's football game. Um, so hopefully that's all going to come back this year. <clears throat> um, and people will not only want to join the boosters, but hopefully we'll be coming out in droves to sign up because they've missed sports. So 
We're hoping people come back and support us so we get our membership back up to where it was in 2019 and add some more members because I think this year with no restrictions, things are going to be full go. And as you know, when these teams start to travel, start to play a lot, start to succeed, especially as it gets to playoff time, there's expenses that come up that, you know, weren't budgeted, weren't in their budgets, and that's when they look to the boosters. Uh, you know, we provide everything from food to travel expenses to equipment, um, weight room improvements, uh, just about anything a coach or administrator at St. Ed's uh, asks us for that benefits student-athletes we usually try to support in some way. So we didn't have a lot of that last year because of the pandemic, but I'm guessing this year we're going to get more requests than ever. So hopefully we have the membership support to, so we can provide those funds to everybody. Um, and we, we like to say we support every single athlete with St. Ed's and we support every student. Um, we don't brag a lot, and that's probably something we should work on. But, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, we made, a for us, a significant donation to the weight room at St. Ed's. Um, first time we ever did anything like that, instead of making donations to individual teams, we donated um, $10,000 to the weight room, to the improvements wow. and the reconfiguration of that weight room. And the reason we did that was um, because our mission is to help every student athlete at St. Ed's, and there's one place in St. Ed's that every single kid on every single team touches is that weight room. No matter if they're a golfer, swimmer, bowler, football player, wrestler, they all go in that weight room at some time. And it's probably the one place in the school that just about every student in the school ends up in at some point. Um, so our board a year and a half, two years ago, decided that would be a great place to pump in a large donation because of the fact that it completes our mission. We help every single student athlete at the school. So hopefully uh, memberships will skyrocket here come July and August, and uh, we can continue to do that. And our tailgate parties at football games should be back in the fall, full go, which is probably really good news to a lot of people. And um, tailgate parties at other sporting events throughout the year will probably happen in 2021, 2022. Okay. All right. All right. So, Pat, you you and your family, your legacy at St. Ed. So what advice do you give a family looking into attending St. Ed's and why it's so special? Well, it's special because of the great education, the caring leadership and administration and faculty and staff that really care about those boys, um, the Holy Cross values they instill in the kids, uh, the opportunities to do things that you don't see it at some of the high schools, whether it's from robotics to filmmaking to engineering, international baccalaureate program. I mean, there's so much to be offered there. Um, and it's, Catholic education is expensive, but it can really be worth it for your child. And the amount of financial aid and scholarships available is really much more than people realize. Um, you know, they really bend over backwards to try to help families out, um, and I think it's something like 60 or 70 percent of the kids there get some type of financial aid, and the scholarship money that's available is through the roof, um, and we benefited greatly from it when my son was there. Um, it made it much more affordable, especially scholarship-wise, because somehow he turned out extremely intelligent, even though he had me as a dad, um, so it <laughs> 
his intelligence uh, helped us out a lot with academic money that he got from St. Ed and made it much more affordable for us. So, um, yeah, he's, my son made it through the IB program. You know, he's got the St. Oh, Ed wow. degree and a baccalaureate degree. And uh, I would have never even, I didn't take an honors class in that year, but he made it through that. But I would tell families to, um, to look at the school. I would start it to, the way we did it, and even though my son was a third generation, we still looked at other schools. We looked at public schools. We looked at Hoban and Akron um, because of where we live. You know, we started, we ranked things. We looked at what did our son want? What did he want to do? Um, what could we get out of the school for him? What was the best fit for him? What kind of um, welcome or family atmosphere was there in the academics. And then for us, the next thing was transportation because we live 45 minutes away. And then the last thing was finances. We put that at the bottom. And the reason we did that is because if we put that at the top, we would have probably said no to begin with. So we put that at the bottom um, to make sure all the rest fit. And again, he's a third generation Eagle, but he made those decisions to go there to do IB we let him fly on his own. We, we, we advised him. We gave him our opinions. He looked really closely at Hoban, um, but he wanted to go to St. Ed's. Uh, and like my wife says, you know, where else is the kid going to go? He had his first St. Ed's gear when he was still in the hospital as a baby. Um, but I, I would tell families, you know, don't let the tuition scare you. Don't let where you live scare you. Um, look at the school for its academics, for its family values, for its Holy Cross um, education. Look at that stuff first before you start looking at distance and you start looking at money um, because you'll be amazed at what your kids can get there and the rest of that stuff all will work out one way or another. You know, if you, you think that is the best fit for your son, you're going to be able to get them there one way or another. The rest of it will all work out. It did for us. It has for thousands of other families. Um, you know, people thought we were crazy for having our kid go to school 45 minutes away from home. But he'd have it no other way. Yeah, for having, um, you know, for going 45 minutes away. But it was funny, PJ's freshman year, you know, they, they put out stuff about where uh, families are from and what counties and lengths of drive, and I don't even think he was in the top ten. Um, oh, wow. It's away from St. Ed's, you know. When we were kids, St. Ed's was a, what, western Cuyahoga County? Yeah. It's now kids from 11 counties from as far away as Sandusky, as far south as Worcester, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jack and Canton Airport, Green, that area. There's kids coming from there. Um, wow. And so, like I said, if I was family looking at school right now, I'd put transportation and finances at the very last of my list of things I need to get straightened out before I go there and look at the school for what it offers. And um, it offers a lot, and it, it does it in a great location and a great facility. Um, that's all modern, updated, expanded. Um, the labs are unbelievable. Well, hell, we did that uh, podcast in one of their recording studios. Do you ever think you yes. see that at that school or at any school? No, not at all. Not at all. It's amazing. So. <laughs> it is. All right. So I, we're going to brag on you now. So you're named the Bronze Eagle Award winner. 
which again recognizes St. Edward alum for their ongoing support and commitment to the ideas of the Holy Cross education over a significant number of years. When you were told you won that, that award, what was the first thing you did? I called my mom um, and let her know. And that was actually um, because of the pandemic, I was supposed to be the 2020 award winner. Mm-hmm. So I was informed, Jim Kubaki called me November of 2019, six months before the award ceremony to tell me. Um, and of course, with the pandemic, it got postponed and they decided just to carry it over to 2021. But um, I was actually at Magnificat walking on a trail that the Fathers Club was working on a project with some of the administrators there when Jim called me and uh, excused myself to take that call. And um, as soon as I was done with my meeting at Magnificat, I called mom and let her know. That is awesome. Yeah, so she was pretty happy. And I think her first comment was, congratulations, and it's about time. (laughs) I love it. She was always feisty. I love it. I love it. So so what did that – what did winning that award mean to you? Um, it, it meant a lot. You know, I overall didn't, uh, you know, tell a lot of people or brag about it a lot, but it meant a lot. My dad won it 30 years ago, um, mm-hmm. 1991. My dad was a Bronze Eagle Award winner, and uh, so it means a lot that I got the same award that he does and a lot of people that, um, you know, he respected and he um, – worked at St. Ed's with won that award. My uh, godfather, my dad's best friend, John Duffy, he won it. Um, He was at my ceremony uh, two weeks ago. Um, So it put me in some company that I I didn't even think I was uh, worthy of um, getting the same thing as as dad. So it it meant a lot. Um, It's nice to get a little recognition. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, I really don't like bragging about it. Uh, I had my brothers and sisters were some of my sisters were a little mad at me. You know, the stuff came out this winter that, about the award ceremony going ahead and everything, but I never told them. Um, I figured they'd find out. A, I, well, I figured they'd find out on their own. Well, one of my sisters has got a kid at St. Ed's, and my brother is an alum, and my other brother's an alum, so they got the emails and everything. So I figured it all filtered down, and I didn't want them to have to buy a ticket or anything. So I didn't push it or anything or tell them about it, but they all ended up there. So they had their own table, which was really nice and and touching that they were all there. Well, my brother in California, for some reason, didn't come. I don't know why, but um, (laughs) maybe the plane ticket and and everything. But, yeah, uh, the rest of them were all there with their spouses, so it was really nice. So um, It meant a lot. Um, It was an emotional night. Uh, Like I said, I – could not put anything on paper. Um, I had tried for about two weeks to put a speech together, um, and I've, uh, whether I'm good or bad at it, I've written tons of speeches before, but I just could not put anything down on paper for this one. Um, so I just had to go off the cuff because uh, you know, it, between between the stupid pandemic, um, you know, getting back into St. Ed's for an event for the first time in over a year. Um, and then my mom passing in the last year and my dad being gone for three years, um, that made it real difficult for me to sit down and write anything. So um, I just went up there and rambled on for seven or eight minutes, I guess, or 
probably longer. I like to think it was shorter, but I'm guessing it was longer. Yeah, um, it wasn't that long. It was actually pretty good. For for yeah. off the cuff, you did a fantastic job. Uh, like I, like I said, I could not get anything down on paper, so and that's why I forgot <laughs> to thank my wife. <laughs> so she was very good about it, though. She didn't say a word. Okay. Well, you thanked her here, so everyone heard it. We'll hear it. So that, that hopefully that'll suffice for now. Yep. <laughs> All right. So. Your dad was involved, was a Bronze Eagle winner. You're a Bronze Eagle Eagle winner. So how much pressure is PJ going to start feeling that he has to come back and give back to St. Ed's? Uh, PJ's a different breed. He's not going to feel any pressure at all. Um, I'm sure he'll end up helping out, but he's going to do it because he wants to. Um, you know, he's a 20-year-old, going to be 21 this summer, college student, uh, doing internships and and taking engineering and got a long-term girlfriend, I'm sure, right now, volunteering at St. Ed's is the farthest from his mind. But give him a couple of years, get out of college, and get settled down, and uh, I'm pretty sure he'll gravitate right back towards there. A lot of people do. Um, it's in his blood, and not unusual for somebody – 18, 19, 20, 22, not even to think about, uh, you know, Looking that back. kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm guessing eventually it will. And But he's, a, like I said, he's a different kind of kid. He doesn't uh, he doesn't worry about pressure. And um, the last thing I would do is pressure him to volunteer because he's also one of those kids that if I do pressure him, he goes the other way. So okay, okay. He'll, 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 I will not be surprised to hear one day that he's at St. Ed's helping out. Um, sooner okay. rather than later. So um, right. it's the nature of the Kennedys. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, well, thank you, Kennedys, for doing so much for a great institution like that, St. Ed's. So thank you. You're welcome, but, uh, Chris. So we'll uh, wrap this up with let's talk about the Medina County Sheriff's Department. Now, how long have you served and how did you get involved in law enforcement? Uh, well, I've been there. It'll be 20 years in July. Um, some of it was I needed a job, and it was close to home. Um, my wife works in the county court system for almost 30 years, and that was an in. Um, and the department had a period of explosive growth from the late 90s into the early 2000s when they went from a small department with a tiny little jail on the square to a large facility with a large modern facility with a, for our area with a large, you know, 230-person jail. You know, they had less than a 30-person jail in the mid-90s. So they went on a hiring binge a couple of times in the late 90s and early 2000s. So, um, yeah, some of it was, you know, the need of a job and employment, and some of it was it being close, and some of it was um, having a knack for that. And a lot of what I do is I get to talk because um, I work for the department, but I work in the 911 center as my primary job. Um, I do a bunch of other stuff too, but um, but I had to start at the bottom, and that's where those back in 2000 when my son was born, that's where uh, the, uh, you know, afternoon shifts and weekend shifts started. Okay. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, that's, you know, see my wife in the morning to say hello and then see her when I get to bed at night. Uh, that was a few years of that before things got a little more stable and um, I had better shifts and better hours and more things going on. So, okay. But it's been a great place to work. I'm under my third sheriff now. We just had a new sheriff start in January. He's a great guy. Seems to be taking the department in a great direction and so far for five and a half months has been a pleasure working with them. Okay. All right. And and obviously you see what's happening in our country with the interaction between law enforcement and people. So when you see that, in what ways does the portrayal of law enforcement officers upset you? And in what ways does it make you proud? Well, I would say overall probably the most upsetting thing is lumping everybody together everybody that wears a uniform, um, you know, somebody does something really terrible and we condemn an entire department or an entire occupation, um, that can be disheartening. Um, you know, when it was, it's, it's improved. I would say it's improved recently. It's not nearly as bad. Um, but, you know, getting to a point a year ago, year and a half ago, the last couple of years where you, you, couldn't, you couldn't wear your uniform unless you were at work. You know, you couldn't go to the store on your way to or from work in your uniform because not only could there be bad comments, but there could be violence, you know. Not even being able to to do to go out in public in a uniform unless you're on duty because of the fact that it would just draw unwanted attention to you. Um, that's the part that probably would, everybody being grouped together in the and the one, and that's human nature for anything. You know, something happens at a school, and a school administrator or teacher gets in trouble, and it, all of a sudden it's all teachers. Or yes. um, back when they talked about postal workers and what they were doing, what they would go off and go postal. You know, they condemned an entire, <laughs> you know, entire huge organization was condemned mm. for the acts of a couple of people. But that can be the disheartening. But there's tons of support out there, and a lot of it you don't see. Um, you, you see it in the hallways at work, and you see it from the community in small gestures. Um, that's nice, and that stuff means a lot. Um, and it's you see it when people need something, when they need help, um, okay. when they they need us to go out and do something that they don't want to do. Um, uh, that can be that can be good. Um, and that can be reaffirming that we're all doing the right thing, you know, being out at a call um, where somebody needs help, uh, whether they know it or not, and people, family have called us and asked us to to provide that help. That can be nice. Oh, okay. All right. And is there one common myth that, that you, uh, about your profession or, or field that you want to debunk or, or just be like, yeah, that's just a flat-out BS? Ah, uh, geez, I don't know. There might be a whole bunch of them for that. <laughs> um, I don't. I think I uh, there's there's one good there's one thing that I've learned in 20 years is um, keep everything positive when you're talking about uh, your profession, um, okay. especially when other people are listening. So I'm just going to say that uh, um, people are going to believe what they want to believe, um, see just the one side of things, and. Um, I would say that uh, the one thing people have to realize is this day and age, most departments, the video and audio recording of everything is so in-depth that 
you know, if people could just give departments 24 hours after something happens to release all that kind of stuff, um, they'll be amazed sometimes at the difference of what's going on in the media and what actually happened. Um, thank goodness with our department we've been able to stay away from a lot of that. But, um, yeah, right now there's so much audio and video, you know, you should be able to document everything. Um, okay. Okay. But, That's good information to know. That is good information to know. All right. So you take a lot of pride in, in being a member of the Medina County Sheriff's Department, and you also take a lot of pride in being a member of St. Ed's family. So what similarities do they have, and in what ways are they different? Um, well, the Sheriff's Office is a job. Um, you know, it's a career, it's a job. It's, you know, some days I'd like to walk away from it if I could. Um, St. Ed's, I would say, is more of a passion. Um, working with high school, uh, with uh, my kids' high schools, is more of a passion, I would say, and a gift of love. Um, the Sheriff's Office is a career and a job and a paycheck. I mean, there's some passion involved, and there's, you know, I do more than just my 40 hours a week, I serve on a bunch of other teams, and I do that, and I get compensated for it, but I do that as a volunteer. Um, you know, I'm not required to do that, so I do enjoy doing a lot of stuff there, and I do enjoy helping as much as I can. Um, you know, but in the end, St. Ed's and the high school stuff is a lot more about passion and being close to family um, than work is. I mean, work is another family, too, but um, my main family is my main uh, my main primary focus, so that would be the big difference between the two of them. But it's similar, you know, they've got a hierarchy and administration um, that you have to work with and collaborate with. Um, in both places are a lot of people business, you know, just getting along with people and working with people and talking with people, lots of talking. Um, which, again, I do a ton of, and if you want me to shut up, just say so. Um, but those were some of the similarities in the two. So, All right. um, so Eventually I'll retire from work, but I'm guessing I'll still be doing something occasionally at St. Ed's. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we'll see what the wife says about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Pat, let, let's wrap this up. Shameless plug time. Brag on yourself, being the Bronze Eagle winner um, and leading the Athletic Booster Club. Also, plug your social media and how listeners can stay in touch with you and support the uh, Booster Club and the Medina County Sheriff's Department. Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me is by email, and that can be for anything, whether it's work, St. Ed's, Magnificat, um, uh, Knights of Columbus I'm involved in, uh, anything you, you could think of. It's really easy. It's email, and it's pretty easy. It's the word Irish, the number five, and then zero, and then letter K, so irish50k at gmail. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, like I said, real simple, irish50k at gmail. Um, I'm on social media. My main focus on social media is Twitter, and again, real easy, it's irish50k. It's my own Twitter account. I run uh, the St. Ed's Booster Twitter account. Just search St. Ed's Boosters. Um, it's at St. Ed's Booster um, on Twitter. 
Um, and I post a lot and retweet a lot, so it's easy to find me. Um, another shameless plug, my 17-year-old daughter has a small cake business called Cam's Cakes. Um, I run her Facebook page and her Twitter account, and that's Cam's Cakes, C-A-M-S, Cakes. Uh, so I'm going to plug that too. Um, but uh, they, my email address is the easiest way to get a hold of me for anything that has anything to do with work or Magnificat or or say not so because I'm still involved at uh, Magnificat too. So my daughter's a junior, so I got another year there. Um, so a lot of good going on at that school too. Excellent. That's excellent. All right. Well, Pat Kennedy. Thanks again for coming on the, the podcast and sharing your story. And you may not know it, but obviously you mean a tremendous amount to me. So your support on anything that I do, um, how you've always interacted with me, even when I was an asshole. Um, but you've <laughs> always, honestly, you've always supported me, and I cannot say thank you enough. So oh, this Chris, has been pleasure. a really – do this has been a really special treat so thank you once again well, for coming on the chris williams podcast hour well thanks for having me i hope your <laughs> listeners aren't bored <laughs> i don't i don't think they're bored pat i don't think they're bored at all uh, <laughs> well that's good all right well thank you again well thanks chris <laughs>